Episodes of Over the Edge rerun for your enjoyment. Please sit back and enjoy this Mid Valley Mutations presentation.
time before the beginning. And I give it off the mouth. The time before the beginning. And I give it off the mouth. The time before the beginning. Around 1940. when a small group of rocket enthusiasts whose names were Summerfield, Molina, Foreman, and Parsons came together at Caltech to pursue their almost mystic vocation, rocketry. The time before the beginning. And I give it off the mouth. Time before the beginning. And I give it off the master. The time before the beginning, around 1940, to pursue their almost mystic vocation, rocketry. Pursue their almost mystic vocation. To pursue their almost mystic vocation, rocketry. Pursue their almost mystic vocation. To pursue their almost mystic vocation, rocketry. diminishing hop like a stone bouncing through the atmosphere and that was going to be launched in about 46 as I say as the war had the war continued yeah yeah I remember uh, Von Braun was talking about uh, you know I can just imagine you know the war is going on he's having to build design all these uh, rockets and whatnot to uh, keep the allies back but while he's doing that he was uh, developing plans to land a German a German on the moon that's right, although it's surprisingly Hitler believed that about 1952 or so. Music that began with a fanfare and thundering drums. Music that inflamed people with wild patriotic fervor. Music like this march played by a Nazi stormtrooper band.
first of the large rockets was, of course, the German V-2. This is a V-2 shot made from the White Sands Proving Grounds in New Mexico. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, The Germans' use of the V-2 rocket at the close of the war dramatically demonstrated it would soon be possible to deliver huge amounts of firepower across continents and oceans. Several hundred train carloads of V-2 parts and assemblies were brought from Germany and shipped down here to the missile range. Jim Eccles is the White Sands Public Information Officer. And then from 1946 to 1951, over 60 V-2s were fired with the missile range. Our first task in the Soviet Union we worked on in the rocket field was the reconstruction of the A-4 rocket. That was a job which didn't really entail anything more than putting together all the contemporary knowledge and findings about the construction as well as the experiments concerning the A-4 rocket. The Russians had found several fairly complete rockets at the Middleworks factory. They brought them to the Soviet Union and had got them ready to launch. We had to do some preparatory work for that. In the summer of 1947, six or eight colleagues from our group suddenly disappeared. We weren't told where they'd been taken. We were very worried that they'd been abducted again. But it soon transpired that they'd been taken to this rocket testing site. Uh, will you tell us first a little bit about your first experiment? Well, you mean way back in those days? Way back in those days. Well, now, uh, you will remember that it was you who brought me in touch with uh, 
Professor Hubert, uh, I think in the spring of 1930, and uh, my first active work in the rocket field was that uh, I assisted Hubert in setting up an exhibit in a department store in Berlin. And uh, uh, then a little later, a couple of weeks later, still in the summer of 1930, he uh, conducted some tests in, uh, with a small, I think, seven kilogram thrust rocket unit burning gasoline and liquid oxygen uh, out in the Flotsam Z area. And um, I think it was there where uh, Robert finally succeeded in uh, demonstrating that the uh, liquid rocket motor was possible. None of us had any idea that uh, several years earlier, Goddard had already fired a liquid rocket uh, in this country. We thought in those days that we were the first. Now what we started to do at Caltech, for which was a immediate application was the assisted takeoff. Assisted takeoff rockets, JATO rockets, were in fact developed and built in those early days at Caltech. Small though they were, they did work, as was proved in actual aircraft testing. <laughs> They were 15 seconds duration and 25 pounds thrust. Before initiating work on a larger sized JATO rocket, it was considered necessary to verify theory by actual tests with aircraft. And since the size and thrust of the small rocket motors was quite modest, the smallest available airplane was selected for tests. Accordingly, an air coupe type airplane was fitted with racks under each wing to hold the solid propellant rockets. Yes, Goddard actually had started his liquid fuel work in 1923 and got his first rocket off the ground in 1926. Now, to go into the future, since the present is well known and the past has been touched upon. To pursue their almost mystic vocation, rocketry. In an area of bare desert, the Soviet Union had set up a rocket firing range at Kapustinyar near Kazakhstan. The R-14 project was a rocket which was supposed to have a 3,000 kilometer range with about a 3,000 kilogram payload. Of course, these would have been suitable to carry an atomic bomb. Some of us began to grumble, and we said we preferred not to work on this rocket because our homes lay 2,000 kilometers from Moscow, and we didn't want to build rockets here which could be fired on our country.
1947, at a new test site by the River Volga, Korolev's copy of von Braun's rocket was prepared for launch. White Sands scientists used the V-2 to propel the first motion picture camera to the fringes of outer space. While the V-2 was developed, the man in charge was the German general, Dr. Walter Dornberger, now missile chief for Bell Aircraft. Dr. Dornberger, my audience, of course, knows that you were in charge of the V-2 project, and I just want to put one historical question to you. Uh, when this project was conceived, how long did you think it would take to develop such a rocket, and how long did it actually take? Six on each side, giving a total J-2 thrust of about 600 pounds. Yeah, these thought it would take about maybe four to five years. But uh, the first operational weapon was conceived in 1936. But we didn't start with the development before 1939. And the first successful flying was uh, three years later. And it went in operation one and a half years later. Also, the whole development time until operation was four and a half years. Which was just about what you anticipated it would be at the beginning, yeah. Fine, well that is a record really. Usually it takes much longer. For man's first look back at the Earth. Since most of the early rocket development took place in Germany, many of the leading figures are Germans. Korolev was now responsible for all rocket development. One of them is Kraft Eric, assistant to the technical director of Convair Astronautics. In addition, a V-2 was used as part of the first successful two-stage rocket firing. And now we'll hear the payload of the Jupiter Sea Rocket, carrying an Explorer satellite. After the various failures, and I saw all that was fired, the last one worked and climbed to a height of about 270 miles and impacted way up to the north end of the range. Dr. Clyde Tombaugh is a world-renowned astronomer who discovered Pluto in 1931. He also oversaw the design and construction here after World War II of the world's first optical tracking system for missiles, telescopes installed on Navy anti-aircraft gun mounts. And so uh, we realized uh, that with the successful uh, find of a two-stage rocket, much bigger things were just around the corner. Much bigger things were. Missiles like the Nike Zeus, the Honest John, the Hawk, the Aerobee, the Nike Hercules, and dozens more. At Marchfield, In all, more than 40,000 missiles have been fired on the And the Cal-SIT group. With no civilian fatalities. As the Caltech uh, group was known in the... But a few days. close calls. 
immediately began preparations for the test at March Field. Oh, they're real spectacular, quite spectacular in the takeoff, the angle takeoff. But as soon as the units terminated, the plane would just quit, quit. Is R-1 rocket could travel at three and a half thousand miles an hour. It has just enough thrust to reach the edge of space. The rocket went into military service as the Red Army Missile. Koronyov had his own plans. The spark of his early ambitions to reach space still dominated his life. He worked day and night at the test range. He was seeing less and less of his wife. All his dreams were taking shape. He wanted to do more military research, to explore space, to plan flights to some of the closer planets, and maybe to more distant ones as well. If the will was there, and they had the knowledge to do so. He thought about space all the time. It was his life. Missiles like the Nike Zeus, the Honest John, the Hawk, the Aerobee, the Nike Hercules, and dozens more. Deep blue unknown. 
Hollywood's only prologue. What you will hear and see lies beyond the realm of wildest imagination. And perhaps as close as tomorrow. brought about a requirement for JATO in quantity. Now, then uh, in the beginning of the 40s, the war started, and the question came, who can do the production in the first line of JATO? Missiles like the Nike Zeus, the Honest John, the Hawk, the Aerobee, the Nike Hercules, and dozens more. Well, we are now in Area 14, which is Converse. We are in the blockhouse, which seen from the outside looks like an enormous marine turtle. And I like to ask him first when he got into the rocket business and how. Well, I got into the rocket business back in about 1943 in the early development of the first uh, five-inch HDAR rockets, and subsequent to this, the early Bumblebee and Lark missile programs. The first large missile was a German V-2, which we fired from White Sands, New Mexico, along about uh, 1946, as a dress rehearsal, essentially, for the firing of a V-2 off the aircraft carrier Midway, which was the first attempt to launch a missile of any kind from a ship at sea. And at that time, I think it was Malina who came with me, to me and said that they believe, he and the other boys too, 
that for the production it would be the best to make an industrial compound. Bill House and I came out to California in an SBD to test the first 8AS 200. These tests were so successful that later developments brought about the 5AS 1000, 10AS 1000, 12AS 1000, 14AS 1000, which was the one produced in great quantity as far as solid data was were concerned for the war. During the war, our production was accomplished where formerly automobiles were doctored and our testing was done in what really could have been called a gravel pit. Aerojet's people performed outstanding work in what were somewhat less than outstanding working quarters. They remember it well. In those days, uh, of course, we were located in, uh, in Pasadena in the old uh, uh, Hudson building. In what used to be the, uh, what was actually the garage. We had the offices in the showroom, and you know, in the automobile, agent, automobile agency, you have the showroom, then you go through a door in the garage, services garage set up the production line and built them. All the testing was done to do so. We had what we called the, what Eddie B and me insisted on calling the proving grounds. When I entered the gate and got to my assigned place, I couldn't believe that that's really where we work. See, it was very close to the test facility. It was a temporary shack. I uh, was taken on a tour to see this reputed proving grounds at Azusa's. With no civilian fatalities, but a few close calls. And uh, I can uh, truthfully say now that uh, as that first, as, my, as I witnessed my first rocket firing, my reaction was one of incredulous that this couldn't possibly be. I was not sure whether I should call back to Indianapolis directly or wait till that evening to advise my wife and two children with a third one expected to stay where they are and I'd be back in the Midwest by the first train. Dr. Clyde Tombaugh's wife, Patricia, also worked at White Sands in the early post-war years when the science of guided rockets was somewhat less than exact. Some of the missiles went off from where they had expected them to land. They had one that landed, you know, down in Juarez. And a neighbor came over to me and he said, don't tell me they can guide those things. I just saw one go to the moon. <laughs> the Universal Media Network catches everything. looks like a failure to the public is not necessarily one from your point of view. I'm glad you brought that point out back.
I am very glad to have the occasion to talk to you. Toward the end of the third year of war, production was increasing and Aerojet became interested in additional projects. Capital and management assistance were needed. They were, in fact, provided by the General Tyron Rubber Company, personified by Mr. Kimball and Mr. Rood. So General Tyron Rubber Company accepts or agreed to put in some additional money and we purchased a 50% interest in the Aerojet Corporation. And it was one that had gone to war And a short time afterwards, we purchased the facilities at the Azusa plant. No one in Juarez, Mexico was injured, but many of the tests conducted here at White Sands and adjacent Holloman Air Force Base have been highly dangerous, measuring the tolerance and strengths of not just missiles and equipment, but also men. But, uh, if the public would recognize that testing of new items, of any item, regardless of what it is, an automobile or a uh, piece of radio gear or anything else that they see every day, if they were to uh, watch the development process, watch the tests, they would fully understand that new devices are developed through failure or what appears to be failure, and that we actually are happy when a missile malfunctions, when it is in our hands, as opposed to having the missile malfunction in the hands of troops. You cannot develop, develop anything without having some, what might appear to be failures, uh, occur during this process. And is how much more can you take? That is the game that's being played there. How much more can you take? And is how much more can you take? And is how much more can you take? That is the game that's being played there. Dr. John P. Stan is still known as the fastest man on Earth. Uh, Colonel, we are sitting here at your console with the famous disrupt button. Maybe an hour, maybe two. There was nothing to show it except the needle and the heat gauge. It was on zero when we left the stardust, 
And now I noticed that it had crept up toward the 30 mark. That meant something inside the ship was radiating heat. That something was in the supply closet, and it was alive. All right, come out. Whoever or whatever you are, if you don't come out in five seconds, I'm going to blast you. One. Two. Well, I'll be... Hello. He was the project director and chief human guinea pig on a rocket sled called Sonic Wind 1, which on the 10th of December, 1954, reached a speed of 632 miles per hour. Ironically, the Soviet failure to make their bombs smaller would ultimately give them the lead in the space race. To accommodate the bigger rockets, a new launch site was constructed at a secret location in a remote region of Kazakhstan. It was well out of range of American radar and far enough away from any populated area in the event of accidents. The multi-stage rocket was called R-7. It took several days to prepare for launch, so it was a very inefficient military missile. But it was an excellent space rocket, as the world would soon discover. After John Stapp's ordeal, all sled tests involving humans were canceled. And moved our headquarters from Pasadena Automobile Agency off to the Azusa plant. The Soviet Academy of Sciences had to give permission for the launch. Many members thought Sputnik was pure fantasy, believing such a feat would not be possible till the next century. But Korolev, with some extra pressure from Khrushchev, persuaded them that the time was right. The first Sputnik contained a simple radio transmitter. It was called PS, a primary satellite although the workers christened it SP for Sergei Pavlovich Korolev. Mid-Valley OT reruns. Mutations. Sputnik circled the Earth 16 times a day for 90 days before it finally burned up. His tests were invaluable in testing the impact of supersonic speed and stress on humans. Things progressed very well indeed. Oxygen, go! All systems are go! Tower Jettison Green, Periscope is coming out. 
Today, the missile range still plays a major role in the unfolding development of weapons and space technology. until the war ended and the government sent us a telegram terminating all our contracts and putting us out of business. At least we were out of business for about two days until many of the programs were reinstated. And the government assured Mr. Kimball and Mr. Rood that they could foresee a requirement he was asked by Khrushchev, can you do something else uh, by next month for the Revolution Day parade? And you'll have the entire resources of the country at your disposal for it. Well, Karloff naturally said, of course he could. He could do a bigger satellite. And he suggested we could put a dog in it, we could put a living thing in it. Well, this, of course, Khrushchev loved the idea. So they went ahead and they built this. They took the basic Sputnik electronics and here, the backup system, additional controls here, and hooked down to it a canister down here. And in this canister, they put the dog, Laika. Laika's fate would be to orbit the Earth for six days. After that, her oxygen would run out. Surface to surface to The next larger is the ground-to-air missile dropped the Nike. The next sound you hear is the Nike Ajax ground to air. Will you tell us about it, please? Well, it's uh, a very innocent looking uh, button. It's a normal uh, toggle switch with uh, a safety on it, which uh, gives you the capability of uh, safetying them when you don't want to use them. We have one switch that uh, we call either an arm or a fuel cutoff switch, and the other switch is called the destruct switch. Yes. Now, uh, when there is a live launch, you are here, you watch this by television. That's right. And you get other indications on these various screens. Truth, proof, science, and progress. Truth, proof, science, and progress. 
And when the missile begins to stray out of the range, you have to make the decision on whether to stop the fuel flow or to, to destroy it. Words like truth, proof, science, and progress. Truth, proof, science, and progress. That's right. Uh, truth, proof, science, and progress. Now, I have seen diagrams in which you have two lines, which are called the destruct lines. I understand that the safe path would be in the center of these two lines. That's right. This varies uh, on the impact predictor chart. As you say, we have uh, two sort of range boundary lines. Ordnance, aeronautical, space general, astrionics, oceanics, advanced research, torpedo, Power equipment, Atlantic, Nerva, Astrochem, and Nuclear Division. The company continued as a rocket and rocket propulsion company until 1947 saw some diversification with the creation of the Facilities Division under Ben Rose, which we know now as Atron. The rocket, the rocket. Rocket and Rocket Propulsion Company until 1947 saw some diversification. Aeronautical, Space General, Astrionics. And the missile can fly most any place between those lines uh, uh, without our bothering it. Oceanics, advanced research, torpedo. On our radar charts, we have a, what we call a family of destruct lines. Power equipment, Atlantic, Nerva. Astrochem and nuclear division. Uh, if the missile path becomes parallel to any of these lines or starts crossing them in the wrong direction, well, it has then taken a turn for the worse, more or less, and uh, we have to take the truck out. And you have these two buttons here. One is fuel cutoff and one is destruct. Do you use them in sequence? Or which we know now does this depend on the missile as Atron Ordnance Aeronautical Space General Astrionics Oceanics Advanced Research the next larger missile now roars aloft, the Minuteman. Torpedo, power equipment, Atlantic, Nerva, Astrochem, and Nuclear Division. And now the Titan, which fills the land and sky with thunder. For air-to-air -air contact, or from aircraft to air target, the Sidewinder is a...
homing missile which contains an electronic brain the size of a football capable of seeking a maneuvering target. Korolyov wanted to test the effect of weightlessness and radiation on a living creature. Mica was chosen for her good temper. She was launched in Sputnik 2 on 3rd November 1957. Earth. 
Atlantic Missile Range, Cape Canaveral. Trisonic. Trisonic. Sonic. This is not a catchy phrase for some sort of stereo phonograph. These are machines which duplicate air pressures three times the speed of sound. Two years later, management realized a need for high-level technical guidance. In a short while, we found out that uh, our facilities at Azusa do the testing we're doing and occasionally mal malfunction either intentional or otherwise causing explosions, detonations, so forth, made uh, it a little difficult for us to continue some of this work of the season. I think it was Ken Munt since he came from Sacramento uh, suggesting looking at this site right here was far and away the best. We had the land, the water, the necessary isolation combined with the requisite accessibility. Commander Delhart. One moment for G3. 
Commander Delhart. Emergency message from ETS 4G3. This is Delhart. What is it? At over 800 hours, I discovered a stowaway aboard my ship. Since 1976, NASA astronauts have used their shuttle trainers to perfect landing techniques on a nearly seven mile long landing strip at the White Sands Space Harbor, off 20 miles to the east. It is night now, here at the main missile test center. Once again, Jim Eccles of White Sands Missile Range. Originally, Missile Range was uh, established as a uh, temporary installation because people thought, well, we'll investigate these rockets and missiles and get it all figured out, and that'll be the end of it. Well, obviously, it's not the end of it, and we're still here, and we're still very active. With ongoing NASA projects, as well as missile and artillery testing and laser development for the Star Wars program, the future of White Sands and its nearly 10,000 civilian and military employees looks as clear as this western sky. And a countdown for an atlas is in progress. Guided missiles. Guided missiles. Guided missiles. Guided missiles. A surface-to-surface deterrent.
Soviet Union, the failures were always publicized in humiliating detail. Solve our problems we did. 
day, he was lost. Solve our problems we did, and the Sacramento Solid Rocket Plant was underway. Later, Aerojet General entered into an Air Force competition for the engines for the backup Atlas program, which later became the Titan program.
more goals. What, 40 seconds? 40 seconds. The tension in the blockhouse is, of course, enormous. People in the blockhouse still have something to do. But when you are outside watching a takeoff, the tension is still greater, and there is nothing but tension when you listen to the countdown. Yes. Hi. Oh, safe you. Mid Valley OT reruns. Mutations. he seemed to express the feelings of us all. the feelings of us all. Apart from its being a high-principled company, a company that very seriously accepts the responsibilities that the Defense Department and the space agency, the government as a whole, places upon us, Airjet means to me a somewhat unorthodox but very nimble company that has the capability to marshal its forces at critical times and to come through when the infighting is, is really rough. Uh, 
This to me is, is the real guts of the organization and uh, I pray to God that we keep it for a long time to come. Ejection mechanisms and reactions of material upon impact. Started building the first test stand, C test stand, before we had a contract. So we could say that we were underway. And that was in 1954. Seven, six, five. The United States is ready to try and place its first Earth satellite into orbit. Khrushchev had already ridiculed the first American satellite, describing it as a mere grapefruit. NASA's rocket chief, Von Braun, had some catching up to him. Let's not forget that uh, our payload is only a, a, a fraction of what Sputnik 1 was, and a small fraction of Sputnik 2's 1,100-pound payload weight in orbit. So, yeah, again, I can only repeat what I said before. We are competing only in spirit with Sputnik 2 so far, not in hardware yet. Sputnik 3 was an even greater shock to NASA. It weighed in at one and a half tons. We received the contract award notice the first week in January 1955, and, and we started to build what is now the liquid rocket plant. At speeds up to 1,800 miles per hour. In his answer, he seemed to express the feelings of us all. Apart from its being a high-principled company, a company that very seriously accepts the responsibilities that the Defense Department and the Space Agency, the government as a whole, places upon us. Airjet means to me a somewhat unorthodox but very nimble company that has the capability to marshal its forces.
Hello. Hello. We seem to be off the air. Hang with us here if you can hear us, which you can't, except maybe you can if you're listening to KPFB. Uh, I'll be back. Well, good hello and Jeekers Creepers. Well, we had some kind of a transmitter failure of some degree. And we have uh, returned on auxiliary power. This is KPFA, KPFB, Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno. <laughs> yes, it's listener-sponsored. And uh, I think we have it set, at least uh, for the time being, on auxiliary power, which I understand is about 60% of the regular. So if you're still out there, if you haven't turned away, uh, neither have we, and uh, we'll be back here uh, right now with more Over the Edge, more Rocket Show, right here on KPFA. Yeah, I stopped sending one, so there was probably a lot of silence. Well, yeah, there was a lot of dust in the air, but I could hear everything that you said, and I heard the little startup of music like the S in the middle of the dead air. Uh, yeah. So I was just hoping that would be of help to you. Well, I hope uh, everyone's still there because we're going to uh, rock it away once again. It's not that dark in here. Describing the event as it goes along to his radio audience. It Hear the slam. Because of the distance of the press gallery from the launching pad, it takes the sound eight seconds to reach us from the moment of zero when the motors ignite. Class 15. This is the first night firing of the mighty Atlas. All three engines are
Now we stand by the rails and receive a hair-raising impression of how this projectile sounds as it passes by. But Korolyov's next challenge to the West was his masterpiece. Work on the Vostok began in 1958. This here is a very interesting book. It is the original design specification showing how we tackled the problems of sending the first person into space. This is the sound of a rocket motor test. Standard Time. 
Astronaut John Glenn is in voice contact with astronaut Wally M. Shiraw, the Capcom at the Point Arturo station. And we have made the decision at this time to go for the third orbit. Back to station on Hawaii to contact with the French at 7 spacecraft at 2.10 p.m. with standard time. Yes. I'll leave the time and I'll tell you later. That's highly irregular. And we'll do it in a highly irregular manner. The subject is a young woman. She's listening to everything that's said. Are you capable of understanding that? Oh. Go ahead, 43. Number T-8374-Y54. She had violated a man-made law that said keep out. The penalty was not of man's making or desire. It was not a penalty men could revoke. H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination. The time was 18.30. 40 minutes. It was beginning to get me. Would you tell the listeners about the four able and its distinctions? The four able missiles are what we call RTVs, or research test vehicles, wherein we take a basic Thor first stage and put what we call an able second stage on it. sound series. As a passenger in the nose cone of an Atlas Intercontinental Missile, you will be on top of the result of more than a million man-hours of work. Airjet means to me a somewhat unorthodox but very nimble company. That in the uninterrupted sequence which follows, Mid-Valley OT reruns, mutations, 
Actually recorded in the nose cone, you will hear the following. Looks something like a falling meteorite, yet it's much larger, much prettier. And we saw it for approximately five to ten seconds. Our crew was very proud of the fact that we were. Of course, we were just the fortunate ones to be there when we saw the re-entry. What you will hear and see lies beyond the realm of wildest imagination. And perhaps as close as tomorrow. countdown and launch, the separation of the first stage at burnout, the intermittent sounds of the guidance rockets, the separation of the second stage, of the nose cone. And the sounds of the guidance rockets as they guide you toward your final destination. Get ready for countdown. A certain amount of luck is always involved <laughs> yes. in all of these Very things. much so. Yeah. drive a, even a, the sanest person to mindless terror.
this was different. I watched her as she wrote a message to her folks. I watched her as she fought her way through the black horror of fear toward the calm gray of acceptance. As we proceeded around from Australia toward Hawaii, we detected an indication of a problem with the heat shield deployment switch. And then there it was on the view screen. The planet Wolden, a red ball enshrouded in the blue haze of its atmosphere, swimming in space against the background of star-sprinkled blackness. A check was made over Hawaii, which confirmed that the system was operating properly and that the signal apparently was erroneous. He is also completing now his retro-firing checklist. This is a process by which he makes sure that all of his onboard equipment is secured, that uh, he has checked out his attitude control system, that he is in good condition and preparing to fire those retro rockets to begin that long landing flight toward this, the Atlantic. The chronometer on the instrument panel said 1845. disorientation, pallor, nausea, loss of appetite, and the final event, vomiting. to see how we regain our equilibrium. And we've worn 
reverse prism glasses. Now the reverse prism glasses, you put them on. If I had them on now, I would be looking at the audience. Those of you on my right would appear to be on my left. Those of you on the left would be on my right. Yet the noises would be coming from the other way. So you have a sensory conflict. Five, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And many times that can make you ill. Five, so far. Roger. Retros are firing. Roger, baby. DC Con Vegas, zero nine. Feels like I'm going back toward Hawaii. Don't do that. You want to go on the East Coast. Retro light is green. Roger, we got all three here. I'll tell you, there's no doubt about it when the retros fire. tested with more than 10 types of provocative motion sickness test. They do that so that we can describe our symptoms going from 1 to 20. One would be no symptoms at all, and a 20 would be an event. thrashing around, heating the controls, and totally ruining the flight. At the extreme corner of the Cape, Thank you. 
The time before the beginning. And I give it off the mouth. There is the area from which the operational intercontinental snark missile is fired. Molina, Foreman, and Parsons. The snark is a winged missile which flies like a jet plane. You will hear the sound of the jet engine running prior to takeoff. Her almost mystic vocation. Takeoff is marked by the noise of the rocket boosters. Rocketry. The countdown is in progress. Another operational missile is the liquid fuel corporal. That does it for us this week here on Mid-Valley Mutations. Thank you so much for listening to Catch more Mid Valley mutations next week.
debate how much control they should be allowed. Designed to hit targets within a range of 50 miles. The time before the beginning. 10, 9, 8. Can't keep it off the mouth. The time before the beginning. 7, 6, 5. Can't keep it off the mouth. The time before the beginning. 4, 3, 2, 1. Around 1940. Fire, A, B. To pursue their almost mystic vocation. B, 